This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio and fans of the Kansas Jayhawks uh, waking up very happy this morning after their hearts just about stopped during the night. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, what a game. Uh, Paul Jerry checking in this morning, my old buddy from up in uh, Middletown, Connecticut. and uh, uh, You know, I'll tell you what. Um, I thought this was going to be a blowout last night. Um, I really thought Kansas would win this game. Uh, I thought it would be very similar to the game against Villanova, to be honest with you. I thought it would be, uh, you know, 15 points or so. And, uh, then halftime comes and they're down 15 points. And I'm like, it's almost like I first suddenly like felt like I didn't know anything about basketball. I was surprised. Now, look, we, one thing we know about the NCAA tournament is that it is probably one of the greatest sporting events in the world. I don't care what – look, I'm a baseball fan. I love baseball. You say what you want about the World Series. I don't care about football. Say what you want about the Super Bowl. There is nothing better than the NCAA tournament, period. I mean, look, you you, you have to look as far as what St. Peter's did this year. You know, and all the upsets that we have every year, it is absolutely amazing – there is no better sporting event. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll take that to my grave. Uh, but what a job last night by that Kansas team. Down 40-25 to 25 at the half. They outscore North Carolina 47-29 to 29 in the second half. At one point going on, I think it was a 30-10 to 10 run, something ridiculous like that. Um, North Carolina, which was shooting the ball, um, you know, okay in the first half. Didn't shoot it great, but they shot it okay. Uh, and they shot well. They shot it good enough to have a 15-point lead. Uh, they were just 11 for 40 from the field in the second half. Didn't score in the final uh, 145, and just Remy Martin last night. What a what a finish he had. He had 14 points. I think he had 11 of those uh, in the final what five or six minutes of that game. Um, but to me, the player of that game for Kansas. Um, Christian Brown was great. What Remy Martin did was great. David McCormick is a beast. I mean, he is a, just a man child in the middle of that floor. Unbelievable game last night, 15 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, you know, frankly, um, and and it seems kind of silly to say, you know, he took 15 shots, which is the highest on uh, the Kansas team last night. I thought he should have taken more. I thought they needed to try to feed him the basketball a little bit more. Um, but the stunning, the other stunning thing to me was how badly North Carolina out rebounded Kansas last night, 55 to 29. They had three guys. North Carolina did with double doubles last night. Uh, Baycott 15 points, 15 rebounds. Manic had 13 and 13 RJ Davis, 15 and 12. 
And look, uh, I'll tell you what, what a job by Armando Baycott last night for North Carolina. Whether you're a Kansas fan, North Carolina fan, you've got to tip your hat to Baycott. He gets hurt in that semifinal game and uh, against Duke and comes back 48 hours later on a gimpy ankle to give him a double-double. He hurts it again late in the game, so he spends the final uh, minute on the bench hurt. But what a what an effort that he had last night. And I'll tell you what, with the exception of the final shooting totals, you look at this and you're like, stat-wise, you're like, how did North Carolina lose this game? Uh, you know, uh just the, the the total domination, but a couple of things. Some big turnovers late, although the biggest turnover of the game may have been uh, in the final uh, few seconds. I'll tell you what, Kansas is damn lucky that that uh, desperation three at the end of the uh, of the regulation didn't go in because that was a bad turnover. What, with about four seconds left, so you're trying to tightrope the sideline, you step out of bounds, and you give North Carolina the ball back and another chance. And I'm like, I'm looking at the clock, and it's like 11.30, and I'm tired, and I'm like, oh, my God, please, God, please, no overtime. Please. You know, and that's, you know what, that's the reporter speaking to me, is uh, all the games I have been to over the years, baseball, basketball, I, I, you get to a point where you go, I don't even care who wins anymore. Just please, let's not have overtime. <laughs> And fortunately, uh, it fell short, and uh, uh, they got away with that. But the greatest comeback in national championship history, uh, erasing the deficit that uh, Loyola came back from 15 down to beat Cincinnati uh, in 1963. So it's been a long time. Uh, I think, And I think for the actual NCAA tournament, which is the big deal now, I think I, I'm not 100% positive, but I thought I saw – that the previous de- biggest deficit anybody had come back from was either 10 or 12 points. But but what an effort last night by the Kansas Jayhawks. And the cream rises to the top. Uh, no question, as Paul said, uh, the hoop gods got behind Kansas. And for Bill Self, his second national championship as the head coach for Kansas, the fourth title overall, um, that, that was just a great game. Great game. Did not think at halftime I was ready to turn it off. I was like, oh, this is over. You know, and then Kansas started to make a comeback, and they got it down to, like, you know, into single digits. They got it down to, like, seven or eight points. Next thing you know, North Carolina comes down. They hit a three. They hit another bucket, and it's back to 12 points again. I'm like, maybe this just is not going to be their night. But, as I said, uh, the the cream rose to the top, and congratulations to the Kansas Jayhawks. And, look, if you're the NCAA after the last couple of years, you know, you don't have a tournament a couple years ago. You know, Kansas may have gotten screwed – you know, two years ago when there was no tournament uh, last year playing it, you know, with the pandemic, you know, and not many fans there and a packed Superdome last night, 75,000 people and just an absolutely unbelievable game, an absolutely unbelievable tournament and uh, good for Kansas. Uh, what a great way to end it. Uh, unfortunately, the women's tournament didn't end the same way. Um, and, and I hate look. I, I root for the UConn women, and, and it's great that they got there. It's probably nothing short of a miracle that the UConn women got to the national championship game this year with all the injuries that they sustained. And, and yeah, I know they had most of their team back. Of course, they suffered yet another injury when uh, Dorka Juhas got hurt uh, in the semifinal game. But they, they, 
they still weren't the same UConn team. They didn't have a chance to gel. I mean, Paige Beckers was their leading scorer in the championship game with 14 points, but you know she was still kind of working her way back, and they didn't have that chemistry that the, you saw the UConn team last year have uh, and that they had early in the season this year just because of all the injuries. Now, having said that, this was no fluke. That South Carolina team is loaded. They are unbelievable. There is no doubt that the best team won. You, even the most diehard UConn fan, you cannot, nobody can look at that game and say that, oh, well, if we played them again, we could do things differently and we could win that game. I don't care. Without Juhas in that game, and even if they had her, let's be honest, you know, and, and look, at six foot five, she is a huge presence in the middle. She would have been, uh, you know, hopefully a factor in, in helping UConn get a few more rebounds. They play that South Carolina team 10 times. South Carolina probably wins 10 games, maybe nine. Maybe UConn finds a way to win one. But you have to, even the most, most diehard UConn fan has to admit that South Carolina team was unbelievable. You know, and everybody's worried about Aaliyah Boston, and then Destiny Henderson throws in 26. You know, where'd that come from? But UConn couldn't buy a rebound in that game. You know, uh, they were probably fortunate that they were able to keep the game as close as they were. When they, The way that game started, they got punched in the mouth in the first three or four minutes of that game. And the fact that they were able to come back at all and get it down to double digits or I mean, single digits a couple of times, what they got it back to six or seven, uh, that was pretty close to a miracle, that in and of itself. Um, you know, AZ Fudd supposedly was sick. And was not herself, and as you could tell, she what only played 16 minutes, took three shots. You know, they, without that inside presence, without being able to rebound, and especially on the defensive end, the number of offensive rebounds that South Carolina got was obscene. And I know they were the number one offensive rebounding team in the country, so it wasn't a fluke. But, man, if you're Gino Ariema and you know that uh, – You've got to face them again next year. You've got to figure something out. and Because UConn is a very guard-oriented team now. Uh, Olivia Nelson-Adota is graduating. They still have Aaliyah Edwards. Juhas uh, is going to be back. They still have a couple of big girls. But they have got to figure out a way. And, and some of this is Paige Beckers. And she's, look, she was the player of the year last year. And if she doesn't get hurt this year, you know, it's going to be between her and Aaliyah Boston probably for player of the year uh, this year. But the one thing about Paige Beckers is is she is so unselfish. You know, Gino Ariema has to yell at her a lot to shoot the basketball because she likes to pass the ball. And there are a lot of times when she has open looks and she passes the ball. Now, we saw in the game against Stanford in that overtime, in one of the greatest games I have ever seen, when she has to take the game over, she can and at some point, Gino R.E.M. is going to have to get to her. She's going to be a junior next year. He's going to have to say to her, look, we're not going to win if if you don't do your thing. So don't just shoot. Just don't be shy. If you get an open look, you got to take the shot. You know, but anyway, uh, so the women's tournament is over. That, that Unfortunately, UConn goes out with a whimper the first time they lose in a national championship game. Uh, but no shame. There is no shame in that. With all the injuries that they had this year, uh, my hat is off to Gino Ariema. It may have been one of his best coaching jobs just to keep this team together while they weathered all the injuries. 
you know, not having Aubrey Griffin all year because of the back injury and uh, AZ Fudd missing time and Pe- Becker's missing most of the season. And, you know, it was it seemed like every game they were missing two, three, four players. And the fact that Gino was able to keep that team together and get them to as far as they did, probably the best coaching job that he has had uh, since he's been there. He's 68 years old. Who knows how long he's going to keep doing it. Uh, but he worked his ass off this year to keep that team together. So, uh, uh, but uh, basketball is, uh, or college basketball is over. Uh, we still have plenty of NBA basketball if you care about that. I don't care about it that much. But, uh, uh, and, and that's why, you know, people say to me, well, if you like basketball, how can you not like the NBA? I'm, I'll tell you exactly. The NCAA tournament is exactly the reason, and it is a different kind of basketball. They, it's, not a, it's not a team game in the NBA. I don't care what you say. You know, you can, uh, you can, we can argue that forever. But college basketball is a team game. NBA basketball is about individuals, about clear outs, and uh, it's not the same game. And, you know, look, I know that, uh, uh, you know, not every conference tournament is exciting as, as the NCAA tournament, but I'm going to tell you what, uh, you know, having watched. Uh, UConn, you know, and watching the Big East all year and watching the number of upsets you saw in the Big East and the, the games that went down to the wire, there were, that was great basketball. The NBA is not great basketball. And look, you know, and I watch the Celtics and, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I guess I call myself a, a fan, but I'm a casual fan of the Boston Celtics and they've been playing unbelievable basketball and it's all well and good, but it's just not the same. It's not as fun to watch as college basketball. Period. And, you know, I'll die on that hill, too. So uh, so the other big story in sports today is uh, now that the NCAA tournament is over, and it all revolves around one man. Everybody wants to know, will Tiger Woods play in the Masters this weekend? We should have an answer to that today supposedly he is going to make a decision today Uh, he went to Augusta last Friday played practice rounds he played practice rounds again on the weekend he played yesterday they had my god they shed they had video of the practice round that he took yesterday and the the crowd that was around him and that was following him in this practice round you would have thought it was day four of the masters it was unbelievable and, and you know, everybody that has seen him play has said that he looks phenomenal. His game looks strong. And, you know, I'm watching it. You know, you watch the video yesterday, and you watch him walk the course, and he walks. Yeah, I mean, like, congratulations, I guess. I mean, he walks like he doesn't. You wouldn't know that a year ago or 14 months ago, that he had an accident so bad that they had to piece his leg back together and there was thoughts that they might amputate it. When you watch him walk now 14 months later, it's phenomenal. You know, now look, Augusta is a tough course. It's, it's uh, you know, up and down hills. That, that is not an easy course on the body. But Tiger Woods and the Masters, we all know he has a special relationship with that tournament. And... He knows that place better than just about anybody, uh, probably outside of Jack Nicholas. Um, so I don't – I think he's playing, to be honest. You know, I was watching the Today Show this morning, and my, they had Mike Tirico on, and I think Mike was 100% right. He said, 
I don't think Tiger Woods comes down to Augusta to play a practice round on Friday and then sticks around and continues to practice through the weekend and then plays another one yesterday unless he's planning on playing. I think the only way he does not play in that tournament this weekend is it is that after that round yesterday where, you know, he's he's played three or four straight days there, practice rounds I know are a little bit different, but still, you still have to walk the course, you still have to walk the hills. Uh, unless there is some uh, pain that he didn't expect or something that he doesn't feel he can manage, uh, he's playing. 100% think he's playing. Uh, and I think it's great, you know, and I said this before, um, whether he wins the tournament or not, and I don't think he will. I mean, what, well, now the last time he played it was what in 2020 and he finished like 38th. Um, but I don't put it past him to win it, but I don't think he will, but whether he does or not, just getting on that course and playing a competitive four rounds of golf, and you know, hopefully, if he if he tees it up, he'll he'll make the cut, and it'll it'll be four rounds, and you know, we'll see what happens. He's still Tiger Woods, but he's forty. He's the forty six year old Tiger Woods. But it to me will be the greatest achievement of his career, and and I you know, and I'm not talking about just you know obviously all the wins and everything. I'm just talking about what he has done with all the injuries that he has had, the knee injuries, the back injuries, all the surgeries that he has had, coming back from a shattered leg 14 months later will be the greatest uh, comeback of his career. Uh, and, and the win doesn't even matter. I'm sure to him it does. I mean, he's only coming out there to do one thing, and that's to win. Tiger is not one of those guys that is going to be, and, and he's already said this, look, I don't think physically I'm ever going to be able to play regularly on the tour again. But every time Tiger Woods tees it up, he is going to expect to win. He that's just the way he is wired. It's the it's the way the greats are wired. It's the why uh Jack Nicholas was able to win the Masters at age 46. You know, at the time, you know, I think he was like the oldest or or the second oldest winner of a major uh and back in 1986 it was a phenomenal achievement. The greats do that. That's why Tom Brady who retired for all of four or five weeks has said, I'm back because just the great competitors can't turn that off. Michael Jordan at his age now in his mid fifties would tell you that, you know, uh, I'm going to take somebody out in the backyard and I'm going to play him on one-on-one and I'm going to beat him. I'll tell you right now, he believes that he could probably go out and play LeBron James in one-on-one and beat him because that's what the greats do. It's you can't turn that off. So I hope he plays. Uh, the ratings will be through the roof if he does play. Uh, and he's the story, you know. Despite the look, you know, there's other storylines. Bryson DeChambeau is coming back. He's got all kinds of injuries, so he hasn't made a cut since like last August. Uh, Rory McIlroy still trying to complete the uh, the Grand Slam. Of course, everybody remembers the the meltdown that Rory McIlroy had at the Masters several years ago. Remember, he had like a uh, an eight-stroke lead or a nine-stroke lead and completely imploded. I think in the third round or something, he fired like an 82. Um, and he needs the Masters to complete the career Grand Slam. And we already know no Phil Mickelson. Uh, he's decided to step away. Uh, and I also think there's a part of it that the Masters said, hey, Phil, <laughs> you know, go go away for a little while. 
so there's plenty of storylines, but there is no storyline bigger in golf than Tiger Woods. And it will be that way until Tiger decides to hang him up. I don't know if Tiger will, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm curious whether he will play as when he gets older and with all the health issues, that may be the, the answer right there. But with all the health issues, he's had, I wonder if he will be one of those guys that will play on the senior tour. Will he bother? Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Jack Nicholas did for a while and he had, he had success when he teed it up on the, on the, the champions tour, whether he'll decide to do that or not. I don't know, but we're, we're several years away from that yet. And I hope to hell he plays. And I know I'll be watching, uh, every round this weekend in between <laughs> continuing to build, uh, uh, you know, my, my garden and all that stuff here. But, uh, anyway, it is 27 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get to baseball opening day, a couple of days away. I cannot wait. The final, uh, spring training game for the Boston Red Sox is going to take place today. Uh, we'll talk about all that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 29 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. And uh, it is time to talk some baseball. We are a couple of days away. Uh, the Red Sox will have their final spring training game today. Um, they win yesterday. Not that it matters a whole hell of a lot in spring training, but the good news coming out of yesterday's game is the Red Sox got a decent start out of Tanner Houck. Uh, they need that. He is supposedly going to be their number four starter this year, and he got absolutely shelled his last time out. But yesterday he manages to go six innings, uh, just a couple of runs. He struck out seven, walked one. His control was much better. Um, he gave up a couple of runs, but they were both solo home runs. Uh, outside of that, he pitched very, very well. The Red Sox bats were sleeping outside of Xander Bogarts yesterday. But again, spring training, you don't worry too much about the final results, but you do worry uh, about your pitching staff. Hauk, 82 pitches, 55 for strikes. Uh, the other good news, Hansel Robles, uh, who had had some visa problems, just got to Red Sox camp a week ago, uh, pitched a scoreless inning yesterday, couple, struck out a couple of guys. Jake Diekman got in the game. He struck out a couple of guys. Uh, so some of the big pieces of the bullpen looked good yesterday. There's still a lot of concern about that bullpen. Matt Barnes, uh, his velocity is down significantly, throwing just 91, 92 miles an hour. That's not going to get it done. They need him to find that velocity because the first part of last year, he made the all-star team. Look, he was unhittable, but he was throwing the ball 96, 97. Then the second half of the year, all of a sudden, his velocity dropped to 93, 94, and he was getting crushed. So the question is, is is there something physically wrong with Matt Barnes, or is this a mechanical issue? They think it's mechanical. They've been working on him. They said that the last couple of days, his velocity ticked up uh, a mile or two. But look, at the end of the day, uh, they don't have anybody else out there to close. I mean, I suppose they could use Garrett Whitlock in that role. But that's not his thing. I, Jake Diekman, I guess they could use in that role, except Jake Diekman is a guy that's a, a lefty specialist. You probably would rather see him just throwing against left-handed batters. So they need Matt Barnes to do something. And it's not just Barnes that's having velocity issues. Ryan Brazier, his velocity's way down. And if you've seen his last couple appearances in spring training, uh, I feared for his life. He damn near got killed a couple of times. The ball's hit right back up the middle. Uh, so that is certainly a concern 
if you're the Red Sox. Now, they have a couple of new arms this year that they're going to give a, tr- a try. Uh, Cutter Crawford is going to make the team out of spring training. Now, Crawford made one start for the team last year, came up in September, uh, got whacked all over the ballpark. I think he gave up five runs in a couple of innings. But he's a guy uh, that's been in the Red Sox organization for four years now. He had Tommy John surgery back in 2019, missed all of 2020, but he has worked his way back. Alex Cora raves about him. He says he's got great stuff. They're going to put him in the bullpen. He's going to be a multiple innings guy, uh, you know, in this day and age where if you're lucky if a starter can go four innings, they're hoping they can get two, three innings out of Crawford out of the bullpen. Uh, also making the team out of spring training, Tyler Danish. Uh, Danish is an interesting case. 27 years old. He was a non-roster invitee, just a guy that they said, look, you know, you want to come in and give it a try? Come on. He was pretty good for the Chicago White Sox for a couple of years. Uh, spent some time in the uh, Seattle system. Pitched last year for the Los Angeles Angels. Was pretty good. Pitched to an ERA of about 3-4. Uh, Pitched 70 innings, appeared in 32 games. He is going to make the team out of spring training, so that gives him a little bit of depth in that bullpen. But at the end of the day, the story for the Red Sox this year, we know they're going to score runs. They're going to score a ton of runs. The addition of Trevor Story, uh, the way Rafi Devers has hit the ball in spring training has been otherworldly. I mean, he is hitting the ball, and again, you can't get too excited about spring training, but when you look at what he did at the at last year, he's continued that right into the spring. Um so you know they're going to score. The problem is, is can they get anybody out? And yesterday they put Chris Sale on the 60-day disabled list. Chris Sale will not be back to the Red Sox until earliest mid-June. So he is going to miss half the year. This is the guy that you sign to a five-year extension for $150 million. And guess what? In the last two years, he has made a grand total of 29 starts for your team. And this is supposed to be your ace. He's got, the fra- he's got a fractured rib, so he has not even picked up a baseball in six weeks. You've got James Paxton, who you signed to a uh, free agent contract in the offseason. He's recovering from Tommy John surgery. He had it last April. They think he'll be back uh, in June or July. And if Paxton can come back and be the guy he was before the Tommy John surgery, the Red Sox are going to be in great shape. The problem is, is are they still going to be in the race uh, come that point of the season. Because when you look at everything that the Toronto Blue Jays did in the offseason, when you look at what the New York Yankees did in the offseason, we know what the Tampa Bay Rays can do. The Red Sox right now might be the fourth best team in the American League East. And I can't believe I'm saying that. But when look, Toronto signed Matt Chapman or you know traded for Matt Chapman from the uh, Oakland Athletics. Bo Bichette has gotten better and better. George Springer, the kid from Connecticut, is healthy. Vlad Jr. is an MVP candidate. And then you look at what they added to their rotation. They may have the best rotation in baseball. Jose Barrios, the ace from the Minnesota Twins, now a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. Kevin Gaussman, who was so great for the San Francisco Giants last year. Hinjin Ryu, who was their ace last year. Alec Manoa, the kid that was the rookie last year that shocked everybody. And then they signed Yusei Kikuchi away from the Seattle Mariners. You look at that, that five and you go, oh, my God. I mean, there is not a weak link there. And the Red Sox are going to be throwing out Larry, Moe, and Curley for the first couple of months of the season. I mean, no Sale, no Paxton. You've got Nate Evaldi, and then pray for rain for like the next four days until it's Evaldi's turn again. I'm sorry, I mean, you know, look, uh, Nick Pavetta made some strides last year, but Nick Pavetta is not a number two pitcher in Major League Baseball. I'm sorry. Uh, Rich Hill is 42 years old. 
a 42-year-old soft-tossing left-hander. I watch him pitch. I want to run and grab a bat, and I'm 62 years old. And his last time out in spring training, he gave up some absolute missiles because he's just lobbing those curveballs up there, and guys know that they can wait on it. They know that's his main pitch. Even when he throws a fastball, they can adjust to it because his fastball doesn't even hit 90 miles an hour. So I want to hit that guy. Now, Tanner Houck, again, pitched pretty well yesterday, but I'm scared. I think this Red Sox team, if they're going to win games, it's going to be 10-9, to 9-8, to eight, and that's what we're going to put up with every night. And the games are going to last three and a half hours, and I'm going to need like a case of Tums before the end of the season. And I'm going to be thanking God I'm already bald, and my wife is going to be angry because she's going to be listening to me swear at the television on a regular basis. So it should be a lot of fun uh, in Red Sox land this year. Look, I'm hoping – uh, I really am that they decide that they're going to try to put Garrett Whitlock in the rotation. I know he was very valuable out of the bullpen last year, but I think they are going to be best uh, if they, you know if they can put him in the rotation. We'll see what they decide to do, and it may depend on how badly Rich Hill gets whacked. And oh, and I forgot about the other uh, uh, the other reclamation progress. Michael Waka is going to pitch for the Red Sox this year. He's going to be their number five starter. Michael Waka hasn't been any good since 2017. In 2019, he had, he had an ERA of six. Last year, uh, he had an ERA of uh, five and a half. The year before that, his ERA was damn near seven. I mean, it's he's been pitching batting practice. He hasn't been any good since 2017 when he pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals. That's the reason why he's pitched for three teams in the last three years. Because everybody keeps thinking, well, maybe we can find what this guy used to have. The problem is, maybe he just doesn't have that anymore. So, it's going to be a little bit scary, at least the, the early part of the season. And look, uh, and the Red Sox get to open the season against the Yankees. How about that? At Yankee Stadium. Wonderful. I can hardly wait for that. Garrett Cole is licking his lips. Uh I just I just don't see how the Red Sox are going to compete in this division. I hope I'm wrong. But again, you know, you look at the Yankees and they re-sign Anthony Rizzo. They've got Joey Gallo. John Carlos Stanton is healthy. They got Josh Donaldson from the Minnesota Twins. I, look, this team is loaded. Absolutely loaded. And their pitching staff, while it's not anything to, that's going to set the world on fire, uh, they still have Garrett Cole. They still have Luis Severino. They still have a Aroldis Chapman in the bullpen. Uh, we're going to talk more tomorrow. I'm going to we're going to spend all day on baseball tomorrow. I'm going to give you my predictions for the whole season. But right, I'll just I'm telling you right now, I will be surprised, and I hate to say this because it it hurts my heart. I will be surprised if the Boston Red Sox make the playoffs this year. Winning the div- division is out of, out of the question. I think making the playoffs will be uh, an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, you know, in uh, soccer, when they have the World Cup. They have the they have the one group they call it the uh, the group of death because it's like you know all four teams in that group are great. That's what the American League East is. The American League East is the best division in baseball, and it ain't close. I mean, the Rays find ways to win every year. You've got the Blue Jays have spent money like they're printing it themselves, and you still have the evil empire, the New York Yankees. I just think the Red Sox are in big big trouble. Uh, again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm eating crow at the end of the year. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be pretty. By the way, uh, Billy Crystal is going to be throwing out the first pitch for the uh, New York Yankees uh, in the, on opening day. So that's about that'll be the only highlight I think for me on opening day will be will be that. But I will be watching and I'll be swearing. And uh, one o'clock on Thursday, it'll be a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, I got a studio audience today, first time ever. 
First time ever. My wife's best friend, Ann Devine, is down here, and she's sitting here listening to me talk. It's got to be spine-tingling. Uh, other news out of New York, Jacob deGrom is out until at least mid-June. This is a guy that was the best pitcher in baseball the last three years. He was the best pitcher in baseball last year until June when they had to shut him down. He never pitched again. They thought he was going to be great this year. He's got a stress reaction in the scapula of his pitching shoulder. What the hell is that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, and I think it's caused by basically trying to overcompensate for the problems he was having with his elbow. Uh, they don't expect him to pick up a baseball for a while. Look, he's 33 years old. And when healthy, he's still the best pitcher in the game. And he has an opt-out in his contract at the end of this year. And he says he's still going to exercise that opt-out. Um, so he's betting on himself that he's going to be able to come back in June and be a difference maker for that Mets team. And look, there's no question, the Mets have spent a lot of money. Steve Cohen's got more money than God, and he has spent uh, probably half of it on this team this year. So he's expecting results, but they're not going to get the results without DeGrom pitching. Noah Syndergaard is now with the Angels. Uh, you know, so uh, it's going to rely on guys like Carlos Carrasco, and they got to hope that Carlos Carrasco is the guy that uh, that they've seen in the past. Uh, they don't have Stephen Matz anymore. They don't have uh, a lot of those arms that you're used to seeing in New York, and they have to pray that this injury to Jacob DeGrom isn't that serious. Now, look, they have Max Scherzer. They signed him as a free agent, but Max Scherzer's got a hamstring issue. It doesn't look like he's going to be ready for opening day. You know, and Max isn't a young guy either, but, you know, the good news is that he tends to stay healthy. Tends to. But when you're relying on two guys, your top two pitchers right now, don't look like they're going to be ready for the start of the season. If you're Steve Cohen, uh, you got to be sweating a little bit. Uh, the uh, Chicago White Sox yesterday signed Johnny Cueto to a minor league deal. Cueto's 36 years old. Um Guy who's had arm trouble the last couple of years. He still managed to uh, pitch fairly well last year for the San Francisco Giants. Helped him to, what, 105 wins. Um, but uh, he missed significant time late in the season with some lat and elbow injuries. Uh, still finished with an ERA right around four. Pitched 114 innings for them last year. Look, Chicago, this is just a depth move for Chicago. This White Sox team is loaded. I'll tell you what, the playoffs are going to be fun this year. I think the White Sox... And the Blue Jays are going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so it's not a high-risk move. They signed him to a minor league deal. If he looks like he's healthy and he can be kind of the fifth starter on this team, uh, that's better for them. Uh, but uh, Cueto's going to have have a lot to prove here that, that he can stay healthy. Look, he's been in the league for, what, 14 years? I think he's got 140 wins in his career, 1,700 strikeouts. Uh, matter of fact, amongst active pitchers, he's 10th in wins. So, I mean, he's a guy that he, he won a World Series with the Royals in uh, 2015. He won the uh, – oh, no, he didn't win the Cy Young. I think he was, I think he was the runner-up back in 2014 for the Cincinnati Reds. So this is a guy, uh, great pedigree, and, again, as I said, just kind of an insurance move uh, for the Chicago White Sox. It's 44 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, so the other big news out of Boston camp is the talk of whether they are going to sign Raphael Devers to an extension, whether Xander Bogarts is going they're going to sign him to a new contract because he can opt out. He's in only in the third year of a six-year deal, 
he signed with the Red Sox, but they gave him an opt-out out of the contract at the end of this year. So if they don't reach a new contract with him before the end of the year, I think he's going to opt out. He's only making – every time I say this, I laugh. He's only making $20 million a year. It's criminal, right? <laughs> but when you look at the fact that guys like Francisco Lindor, the shortstop for the New York Mets, is making $33 million a year – you know, when you look at what Trey Turner is making from the Los Angeles Dodgers, when you look at the $30 million that Carlos Correa just signed uh, for his contract with the Minnesota Twins, uh, all the elite shortstops in Major League Baseball are making a ton more money than Xander Bogarts. I mean, and it's not close. And Xander Bogarts, while he may not be defensively as good as some of those guys, offensively, he is probably one of the two or three best shortstops in Major League Baseball. So the poor guy's only making twenty million bucks, uh, but the Red Sox are in danger of losing him. And they don't. They they say Sam Kennedy, the president, says, you know, we've had him since he was a teenager. We don't want to lose him. We want him to be a red, in the Red Sox uniform for life. Well, here's the deal: Sandra Bogarts has said, "Look, uh, I'm not negotiating during the season." I want to concentrate on baseball, and we'll deal with this in the offseason. So the Red Sox are going to have to answer questions all year long about whether they're going to sign him to an extension or not, uh, unless they do it in the next 48 hours. And even Xander Bogarts has said, I don't think that's going to happen. He said there hasn't been that much talk. But to me, and, and would I like to see Xander Bogarts stay in Boston? Absolutely. But if he walks and they let him walk, I'll be okay with it as long as they don't let Raphael Devers walk too. They got to lock that kid up. He's 25 years old. Uh, he is going to be an MVP candidate in Major League Baseball. They have got to make sure that they keep him in a Red Sox uniform for a long time. They have Trevor Story, who they signed as a free agent this year. They're going to move him to second base. If Xander Bogarts walks, you can very easily move Trevor Story back to shortstop. Defensively, he's probably uh, twice as good as Xander Bogarts. His range is so much better. So, you know, they won't lose anything at the shortstop position. Now, Xander Bogarts has been a great citizen for Boston. That's the thing, you know, he always says the right things. He's a great team leader. He's the kind of guy you want to have in your clubhouse. Uh, so I think, I mean, I understand why they want to keep him. But I wonder if the team wouldn't be better without him if you can still move Trevor Story to shortstop. Unless you can talk Xander Bogarts into saying, okay, look, we'll pay you, but we want you to play second base instead. You know, whether his pride will allow him to do that or not, I don't know. Never underestimate the amount of pride that a professional athlete has. Because you have not just pride, ego. And being the shortstop on a major league team, there is a lot of ego involved there. There is a lot of pride. There is a lot of, uh, you know, your shortstop is usually your best player, or it should be. I know in high school and college, the best athletes are always your shortstops. So if his ego will allow him to go to second base, and if the Red Sox step up and say, hey, I'll tell you what, Xander, we're going to give you $25 million a year, but we want you to play second base. I think five million bucks a year would kind of soothe my ego a little bit, but that's just me. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but it doesn't look like anything's going to happen prior to the season with either one of those guys. Now they still have Rafi Devers under control until 2023, so they have him under control through next year as well. But again, the sooner you do this, the better. You know, so that you can then, when free agent season comes up next year, you already know what positions you need to fill. But I'm, I'm hoping they keep Bogarts, but I still think there is a chance uh, they may be better without him. Uh, and under the category of uh, our, our bullet heads of the day, uh, three players in Major League Baseball got suspended yesterday for failing 
drug tests. And I am I continue to be amazed that there are guys that are getting suspended for using performance-enhancing drugs. They have testing programs in Major League Baseball. They have had for the last 15 years or so, and we still have bulletheads getting caught using them. I don't understand it. Uh, one of them is a former Red Sox player, Danny Santana, who played with the Red Sox last year. Uh, he has been suspended 80 games. Now, the performance-enhancing drugs, obviously we're not doing Danny Santana an awful lot of good last year. Uh, he hit 181 last year, <laughs> five homers and 14 runs batted. He was awful. Uh, so whatever drugs he's using, he needs to get better ones. Uh, Richard Rodriguez, though, he's going to be out 80 games as well. Rodriguez is a guy that was the closer for the Pittsburgh Pirates, was really, really good, got traded to Atlanta late in the season, uh, performed pretty well for Atlanta out of the bullpen, and uh, he is going to miss 80 games. And then also Jose Rondon, uh, who is a uh, kind of a bench player for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, uh, hit 263 last year in 63 games. He is also going to be out 80 games. I don't, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like, uh, you know, it's like your mom saying, I'm watching you, and you look, and you look right at your mom and you do it anyway. And then you're surprised when you, when you get caught, and then you want to whine about your suspension or your grounding because you've gotten caught doing something you were told not to do. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I know there's a lot of money involved, and I guess money, well, money, money through, the, through history has made people do bad things, right? Uh, so I guess with the amount of money involved in Major League Baseball these days, you know, these guys say any edge that they can get, maybe I can get an extra million bucks in my bank account, I, I guess. I mean, but I still, it's just, it, it just boggles the mind how stupid people are. Uh, the Boston Bruins win last night. They beat the Columbus Blue Jackets 3-2. to two. Did not watch the game. I was kind of busy watching uh, Kansas come back to beat North Carolina. Uh, but the Bruins are the hottest team in the NHL right now. They have won three straight, 10 of their last 12. Uh, and in their last 21 games, 17 wins, three losses, and one tie. I mean, they are playing out of their minds right now. They play the Detroit Red Wings tonight, uh, so back-to-back games. The game may have been costly last night, though, because uh, David Pasternak had to leave the game, uh, took a hard hit late into the glass, upper body injury. Trent Frederick, their uh, young center, also sustained an injury, left in the second period, did not return. The Bruins cannot afford uh, to lose those guys, especially Pasternak. Um, 13 games left in the season. Bruins right now sitting in third place in the Atlantic Division. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, they are in a uh, third-place tie with the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're only a couple of points behind the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs. Of course, the Maple Leafs absolutely throttled them last week. Uh, but with 13 games left, the Bruins still have a chance to improve their playoff seating. Uh, and the way they're playing right now, as long as Pasternak's not going to be out for a long amount of time, uh, they should be in pretty good shape. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Going to leave you this morning with some music. Uh, Thomas Rhett's got a brand new album out. It's called Where We Started. This is the title track off the new album. It's Thomas Rhett, and he's joined by Katy Perry. This is Where We Started. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.